0: Everybody and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside
1: Connor Baltesor.
0: And welcome to a jam-packed recruiting weekly recap, mostly on the the football side of things. We have three new transfer commits. Two are a pretty normal story, and then the other, that one will take a minute to explain. But then, of course, we have to talk about a few comments that Chris Kleiman made. I, I assure you they're positive, not clickbaiting you into the rest of the episode. Listen because you want to. And then we're going to talk about the backcats and, of course, the wacky segment of the week. So let's dive in with the football recruiting with uh, the the two normal, <laughs> normal stories to sort of discuss here. And that is two brand new transfers in and that is Tyler Nalome, the quarterback transfer from Southeast Missouri State, or SEMO, who, fun fact, is the opening game for K-State football. And then Daniel Cobbs, the safety from Tyler Junior College down in Tyler, Texas. If that sounds familiar, it's because it should. This would be the fourth person from Tyler Juco who is committed to K-State, uh, three of which, including Cobbs, who are still on the roster, including a fan favorite, you may know the name, of another safety in Kobe Savage. So there, there's a little bit of a, a pipeline being established there. We'll, we'll start with Nalom because he's the one that I think is, he's a tough eval for me because there's not a lot of film on him, especially college film. Like the What I found was like maybe a minute and a half against MU, where he played fine. But uh, from what I've seen, he seems like a tall, he's like 6'3". He's a very physical corner in the mold of Julius Brents, except for without the wingspan, because no human being on Earth should have that wingspan. But that, that's sort of like my TLDR is, it seems like we want a hyper-physical, hyper-tall, and hyper-aggressive corner to develop in an already
1: stacked corner room. Yeah. And, like you said, there's not a lot of film out there on Tyler Nolome. We would have seen him anyways uh, this fall because we would have played him in the first game regardless. Yeah, that's true. So, um, I imagine we'll probably see him in that first game at least a little bit. It's really tough to say who's going to be starting out of that corner room right now, with the exception of Jacob Parrish. I think you could probably write him in, but the rest of the depth chart is anybody's guess. Um, so I like Tyler Nalone based on the little information that we have, but it's still probably too early to make a real judgment on him. But we just don't know a whole lot. But seems like we really wanted him. But there's also he doesn't have a recruiting profile, so we don't know his other offers. We don't know what anything else looked like. He may have just had a quiet recruitment and picked K state and decided to be done with it, which is fine. I I like easy recruitments as well, but I don't know. We'll we'll just have to wait and see this fall.
0: Yeah, I, I think there were there was like a tweet that was put out that had some of his other offers. Like I think Washington, Oklahoma State for some reason, those two are ringing bells. So like this this was a, a pretty solid win. And I, I think what a lot of people are wanting, because he has either two or three years of eligibility left, they're they're looking for either a hyper aggressive, hyper physical corner now or a developmental corner who has those traits right out the box. So,
1: you know, that's it's, what, it's, what it's worth. I do think he has three years to play too, because I think he got to a seMO I, w- I went through his uh, stats history and bio on their website, and it looked like he was a 2020 recruit and played five games or something like that in the fall. So he didn't redshirt and then he, played the full seasons uh in 21 and 22. so technically he's a senior right now but he could redshirt if we decide to do that i don't think we will and if he's a 2020 guy he has a covet year. yep and he has a COVID year, so that would be three to play two i think if a math adds up my basic addition but Tyler Malone, uh still kind of flying under the radar i guess as a prospect we don't know a lot about him but I'm hopeful to see him contribute. I'm regardless, I'm still interested to see how the corner death chart shakes out as we get closer to the season because I think it's gonna end up being a kind of a mess the first couple games because there's gonna be so many guys want to get on the field. You know Jordan Wright is still on this roster. Yes, he is. (laughs) (laughs) And justice Clemens is still on this roster and Darrell Jones is still on this roster. Keenan Garber is still on this roster. <laughs> Donovan McIntosh will be there uh, this uh, summer as well. And a uh, few other guys as well. So, uh, General Thomas he'll be, if he's not already there, then he'll be, I think he might be there though. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think he may have been a, uh, early enrollee, he doesn't look like he was actually. So he'll get there in the summer, but we'll see. That's just going to be kind of jam packed.
0: Yeah, true. But the next one is is a bit easier to give a, a more comprehensive eval for. And that is the safety from Tyler Junior College, Daniel Cobbs. And I. I this may be one of the easiest evaluations that we've ever had to do because Daniel Cobbs in terms of play style plays exactly like the battery mate who just came to K-State and Kobe Savage. And that is not an exaggeration to say their play style is almost the exact same. They are both heat seeking missiles who have plus athleticism and the ability to communicate with the entire defensive backfield. I, oh, those yeah. don't grow on trees. I take
1: that. We take those. We take those. Absolutely. And um it makes sense. Maybe we have a connection there with like the defensive backs coach or Tyler. That would make sense. Cause we've now taken two safeties from them consecutively. But another thing to really like about Daniel Cobbs is he only was at Tyler for one season. So he's got plenty of eligibility left. And, and, he's and a now full qualifier. yeah, full qualifier out of high school as well. And uh he was just there to get exposure, get his name out and his commitment Came out of absolutely nowhere because we at least kind of had an idea of Tyler Nalone being connected to K-State before with like a few scattered tweets and things like that. Daniel Cobbs, I did not know existed until he put out his, his commitment video. Yep, And, and it, it wasn't we even out.
0: like a high profile commitment video. He literally just put out committed. He didn't say where. <laughs>
1: where. Yes. Yeah, like an hour after his uh, K-State visit, he just said committed. And I was like, where i looked where? in his uh, replies and it was mostly k-state stuff so i was like all right i guess he's coming uh, okay. to case <laughs> cool but he um oh yeah i think you're exactly right he's very similar to kobe savage um he's really really good um and uh, i think he put it well. he's a heat seeking missile he's really good at identifying where a play is going kind of like kobe is uh when i think of kobe and his play recognition ability i think of even though we lost the game, that huge stop that he had against Bijan Robinson in the Texas game, where he recognized the formation, he recognized the setup, uh, and he said, They're probably running this toss play that burned us like three times this game. <laughs> and so then he just called an audible list of the side and blew it up because he's good. Daniel Cobbs could probably be that guy as well. Maybe he redshirts this year because we're now kind of reaching a point where we do have quite a few viable safety options. I think um, it's not going to be like last year, I think where even into the first game where like, who's who's starting, like who's going to be on the field. Um, but I don't know. I like Hobbs a lot, but again, guy we just didn't really know anything about. Yeah.
0: like I. One thing I'll say is first off, tune into next week's episode. Cause that'll, the or yeah, next week's episode, because two weeks, two weeks from now, because uh, it's it's our anniversary special. And uh, if, a lot of people, if you've been listening to the show, you know what that means, uh, which is why I mentioned this now. But the whenever I saw Daniel Cobbs committed and. I put him into the list of transfers that we brought in. Uh, say, uh, maybe maybe in a way that was ranking them, just hypothetically speaking, he may have immediately shot up to top four within like a minute of his film. <laughs> and I love this transfer class.
1: This is probably the uh, best top to bottom class that we brought in. I don't think it's close for transfers because every class before has kind of had a head scratcher and uh like i think of like eric munoz yeah like culture guy yeah he was a culture guy and he made like two special teams tackles i think and also got off sides on a kickoff once yep and that's his lasting legacy at k-state <laughs> um and then last year i think there was somebody i think it might have just been like sean robinson and honus uh because they never played in the jv on car because he quit like after one day of practice yep but
0: <laughs> well, Sean yeah. Robinson is a is a special case, but Will honus I I'm not sure if we ever thought he was going to play in hindsight. We did. I'm not
1: sure if the staff did. Yeah, I think that they were taking a flyer on him being able to. And I think he made it through the spring healthy from what I recall and then got hurt again in the fall just one of those guys just can't stay healthy, which is a shame cuz he's super, super talented, but I mean, top to bottom this year, I mean, it's going to suck putting somebody last in this transfer class because (laughs) whoever it is does not deserve it. Because I think they're all going to contribute this year, um, whether in a rotation way or in like a number one starter way. Like they're they're all going to have some clear value if they can stay healthy. Yeah,
0: I agree. So welcome to the team, Tyler and Daniel. Now we get to the confusing one. Because it was announced uh, literally out of the blue. We were in the middle of tweeting the Bat-Cats game. <laughs> uh, well, no, we, we had stopped tweeting the Bat-Cats game for reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> this one caught both of us by surprise. And that is the quarterback transfer, Jacob Knuth, who originally committed. He's a 22 recruit who committed to Minnesota. We had chased him out of high school. And he ends up picking Minnesota. So you may be thinking to yourself, huh, that's weird that a quarterback would commit here when we have a quarterback room that consists of Will Howard, Jake Ruby right behind him, Adrian Laura. oh, and this little guy named Avery Johnson, who is coming in as a true freshman and maybe usurping the other two guys in front of him. So why, why would he transfer in at this point? It gets even more confusing once you learn that he's transferring in as a walk-on. A former three-star recruit and the number one player in South Dakota is committing to K-State as a walk-on. Now, Connor, do you want to go into why you think that is? Or do you want to just evaluate him as, as a, a product? Not as a product, good Lord, as a, as a prospect <laughs> first.
1: Um, let's, I think we should probably go over him as a prospect first and kind of set the table for kind of a broader conversation mm. um, if that works. Yeah. But yeah, Knuth was a guy that I think we really liked um, out of a uh, high school and we were ready to take him, but we ended up or He ends up going to uh, Minnesota. So we get Adrian Lara instead. I think we made a very late push to flip him and it just didn't quite get there, but um, we were right there with Minnesota up until the very end, up until I think pretty much signing day. And he, he was a really good prospect, um, a South Dakota guy. So that's kind of, a uh, the old stomping grounds for, uh, coach Clyman and the general vicinity. I don't want to say North Dakota and South Dakota are the same. I don't want to <laughs> bend any Dakotans that are <laughs> listening. I don't think there are any, but there might be. It's like one or two, maybe. I don't know. Perhaps Gene may get upset. Gene might, get yeah, because he definitely listens to the show. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, he ends up picking Minnesota, and I I like his film. Uh, his high school film's really good. Um, he didn't play any at Minnesota as a true freshman, which isn't terribly shocking because they had an established starter, even if he wasn't that great this year. But um, Knuth was fairly high, highly sought after as far as a QB recruit can be. Uh, top 30. By top three, I mean, he was 30th and he was the uh, number one player in South Dakota. Um, he's got some mobility um, to his game, but he's a pass first QB. He's got really good mechanics, really smooth mechanics. He's got a pretty delivery, but it's effective as well. And he displays a variety of uh routes that he can throw well, he's got good touch on verticals. Uh, but he can make a sharper throw over the middle if he needs to, and he can dump it off and put a receiver in a good position to succeed. So there's a lot to like about Knuth. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades QB. He's got good size as well at six four. Uh, this, he He's kind of like the prototypical QB, I think, the staff wants, which is someone that can do a bit of everything, and they're hoping they can develop into having one or two elite traits, assuming they don't get somebody with elite traits already
0: yeah so I, I guess it falls to me to sort of discuss why the walk-on part of this is important first off from the outset being like having a walk-on on the roster doesn't necessarily cost you anything but what i think this is and i've seen this sort of reciprocated on twitter so this isn't an a orig- this isn't an original thought or anything but I think he's more in insurance policy than anything else because let's say disaster strikes, right? Let's set up a a hypothetical situation here that is not ideal for K-State. Will balls out this season, goes to the NFL draft. Jake Rubley and Adrian Lara are getting beat out by Avery Johnson. They both want to play, so they both transfer out. You are left with three quarterbacks or without, without Knuth you're left with two quarterbacks on roster. Three, pardon me. I was right the first time. Avery Johnson, the starter. Parker Kavanaugh, a walk-on. And then Blake Barnett, a true freshman. That's not an ideal scenario if the first one gets hurt. Because that, that's almost the exact same situation that we had in the 2020 year. We had Skyler Thompson, albeit he was a lot more experienced. We had Nick Ost, who ended up being a receiver for UTEP. And then you had true freshman, Will Howard. I don't think the staff ever wants to be in that situation again. So if one of the quarterbacks or two of them end up transferring out, I think Jacob Knuth ends up getting one of their scholarships. So that way we have another developing or more experienced quarterback that isn't just going to be a walk-on. I think that's what this is more than anything else. I think it's an, an insurance policy and it's nothing against Jacob Knuth. And I know it can be very much interpreted as this, like being a dunk on Jacob Knuth. It's not because I really do. Like he earned every bit of that three-star ranking. And I think eventually he would have turned into the starter at Minnesota, but he takes an offer to walk on here. And we have Avery Johnson, who is the heir apparent even after this year. So I think that this is more an insurance policy than anything else. And that is amazing process by the team.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. There's been a lot of people that have understandably been confused about it, but I think a lot of the context comes from him being a walk-on, at least to start. That implies a few things that the staff may think will happen in the off season that I don't think I want to get too far into right now, but, um, Knuth he's an insurance policy just like you said you you need to have a viable emergency quarterback because uh, as a seasoned K-State veteran I lived through 2015 and the, the era of Bazooka Joe and wide receiver quarterback Cody Cook which I don't hold it against them because they were put in a position that they should never have been in and that's on the coaches but um, I I think also including 2020, the staff is aware of the fact that they really cannot afford to do something like that again. And, uh, they need to get ahead of that situation. Granted 2020, that was only their second year COVID hits. They can't really bring in any transfers. It's more understandable then than it is now, but you want to, even when, things are riding high for the room like they are right now because it's a very talented room right now. You have to understand roster attrition and you have to look forward and understand that at this time next year, you might go from the five QBs you currently have on the roster to two of them in a worst case scenario. And the staff does not want to have to deal with completely protecting Avery Johnson for the entire year and hoping he doesn't get any injuries whatsoever, because then it would be either Parker Kavanaugh or Blake Barnett, who probably won't be ready either of them. So he's a walk on. And as long as he's a walk on this year, I don't think it's a big deal. I I think it's a, a good idea to bring in a QB that they already know because they pursued him so heavily on the recruiting trail. So they already have plenty of evaluation on him. They know who he is and they didn't have to really search so far. He's already visited campus uh, several times. There was a lot of built-in advantages with taking Knuth. And above all, he's paying his own way right now. And even if he isn't, you know, there's a few walk-ons that I get in IL scholarships. I don't know if that's a deal with him, but it could be so. But Bowman we'll see. and
0: Lloyd are two of them on the NIL scholarships, aren't they? Uh
1: I believe so. And I think um oh gosh, I can't remember who else it was, but there was there was a third that I just can't think of at the moment. So the receiver? Maybe. Maybe Bowman. I'm not hundred percent sure.
0: We we said but anyway. But yeah, I, I, I like the process here, and it has nothing to do with Knuth being an inferior prospect because I don't think he is so that I I think we can sort of leave that there for now and move on to the last bit of exciting football news and that is someone who will be refusing to transfer out for any reason and that would be the current K-State head coach Chris Kleiman who there was a tweet that was put out that says there was a quote from him saying that he fully intends to retire a Wildcat, which it's something he sort of implied, but I don't think he's ever outright vocalized before. And that is incredibly encouraging to hear because I think there's one job that everyone is worried about if it ever opens up, and that would be Iowa. But first off, I, I'm pretty sure that Earth will stop spinning before Kirk Ferencz ends up leaving. So wasn't an issue there. But yeah, that's
1: gonna require a Kirk
0: Ferenc uh, retirement. And also anything. him not immediately mandating his son become head coach.
1: Yeah. They they're kind of looking at a 2018 K State situation up there. So uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how they manage it. Yeah. But yeah, that that was incredibly reassuring to hear. That it was. Um because yeah, he has kind of implied it before, like you said, yeah. but he's never really put it into um really straight up language like that. So super happy about that. Um as any K-State fan should be. The only question left is pretty much how much longer does he coach? And I think most people are hovering around the like five to ten years range with that. And at that point, I imagine we'll probably have at least one more Big 12 title and probably make a few other bowl games several other bowl games and uh, so he can retire a little earlier than a lot of college football coaches and I'll be just fine with it because yeah. he's been already very very successful in just uh, four actual seasons three actual seasons yeah. um, he has already become one of the most successful coaches in K State history so like, is- the longer we get him the better but you know, if he wants to retire like right like when he has sixty-five. I'm not gonna blame him. Nope. <laughs> he he's proved himself. Yeah. And I, I think that
0: like it if he is to retire in five to ten years, the, the current staff that he's built right now, I swear to you this has a point, has three or four legitimate head coaching candidates for other power five jobs. And this is after him hiring or bringing people along like Scotty Hazelton who ended up being a DC at Michigan state. I think he still is, but surprising. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he he's gotten the ability to build a staff as well. And I think that whatever heir apparent, it'll probably end up coming from within and they may inherit the same skills. Now, of course I have my preferences for if he were to retire in five, like, say, five years. I have my preferences for who the head coach would be. I'll give you a hint. His name is Van Malone. But you know, I, I I'm willing to hear arguments for other other candidates on the staff. but you know he's he's done an excellent job building up a culture here. And I think that he I, I think this is awesome to hear,
1: obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's not a single fan that shouldn't be ecstatic hearing Chris Kleinman say that because it's good to have that level of uh, outward security. Now, granted, that hasn't stopped some coaches in the past. Some coaches will still leave after saying stuff like that. But Kleinman's has always come off as pretty genuine. I'm not going to worry about it until it becomes an issue, basically, at this point.
0: Yep, I agree. I don't think it's anything to get worth worried about. In fact, I would be excited about it. So before we move on to the Batcats, here is a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to covering the Batcats. We, the, the Big Twelve tournament is ongoing right now. In fact, the uh, third game that K State will be playing will be going on the day this releases. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's sort of briefly go over the games before uh except for the texas one i really want to talk about the texas one no particular reason why uh i'm i'm lying it's because it's funny but we can start talking about the the tcu series that played at home a series that we said we really needed to win end up only winning one game in this series which is not what you want to see and you know it the other games weren't particularly close. I know the last one ended up four, three game was not a four to three game throughout. It felt horrible, but first game was pretty solid. Owen Borama ends up taking the mound. He does well enough. Then Ty rule who became the story of today's game <laughs> ends up going one, one earned run. Like there's not much to really say about the, the TCU series in the regular season other than my goodness gracious, TCU might be one of the hottest teams in the country now. And unfortunately we just kind of got caught in the middle of them in a regular season series, which is such a shame. It could have happened to anybody.
1: Truly, really could have. There's not a lot to write home about the series other than the uh, walk off on the first game. That was pretty awesome. Yep, Brady uh, just- day. Yeah, Brady Day did a great job. We were down one going into um, the bottom of the ninth, and we picked up the two runs to win. Uh, that was pretty awesome, and I was super happy about it. Uh, obviously, always great to beat TCU. Weren't quite able to show up the next two days, though. Um, I know that we did um, make it close in the ninth, but um, other than that, we were it was 4-1. Uh, when we got to that point, so we looked like we were going to push for another walk off, and we just couldn't quite do it.
0: Yeah, it's like if we want to talk about notable performances, can talk about Kid talk about uh, Tyson Neighbors, obviously doing Tyson Neighbors things. In the last game, you know he ends up giving up two earned runs, but it, like that game is not on the pitching because you know we recorded seven hits, but just. It was so little in terms of capitalization on it, and there's not much you can say otherwise. You know, it eh. it was just yeah. the
1: ultimate "eh" kind of game. We can say, I guess, well, in that a uh, day three game, uh, Cash Ruzely, um was fantastic. He went four for four and sure. scored two runs, so awesome day for him but he had over 50 percent of the team's hits and that's not good so really hate to see it um but then um otherwise yeah i guess we kind of saw the debut of that uh Rule tyson neighbors one-two punch um they were very effective yeah they gave up four earned but i was over eight innings uh nine innings and they were they were great uh, there, there's a lot to uh, like about that. rules seems kind of more comfortable starting games based on some admittedly very limited evidence. But there's a lot to like about uh, those two guys um, and their performances from that game, even though the bats weren't going.
0: Yeah. So I, I think that's all we really need to say about the regular season series so we can cover the, the Big 12 series more in depth. Uh, first game. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> it was a 16-3 to 3 victory in favor of TCU. Uh, TCU would do the same thing to KU uh, the day after this, also known as today when we were recording and yesterday when it releases. It's funny how time can be linear and still confusing, but it this is, I think, the only start of the year where you can take a look squarely at Owen Borama and say, oh, no, he got blown up which he only goes one inning and allows eight total runs, three walks, and only one strikeout. This is the only game I've ever seen him like lose his composure when it comes to his command, and that was very discouraging.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was not good from Borma, which was so out of the blue because he had a pretty good start against TCU um, at home. And just out of nowhere, just did not have it. Some of it was just he wasn't getting those borderline calls that he normally gets. And but a lot of it, I mean, you also kind of have to pitch pretty bad to give up eight earned in one inning, which really stinks because Borum has been very effective for k Big Twelve. Yeah, he's been good all year. Haney gives up um, eight runs, but only two of them were earned. So, defense lets him down a little bit there. Plus, I think some of those were inherited from uh, Borma as well. But after that, Corsentino Andrew Evans pitched the last two and a third and each give up a hit. Corsantino gets a strikeout. Nothing else really happens. But yikes. What a uh, horrific um, first date of the tournament uh, yep. for a uh, state. This this
0: uh this caused me to have a little bit of a meltdown on Twitter, and normally I try to avoid doing that because I don't think it accomplishes anything. I'm not deleting the tweet because I still stand by a less extreme version of what I said, but there were a lot of people melting down after this game, and I can't say I don't understand. When you end up getting three hits, 11 walks, and 11 left on base. <laughs> huh?
1: Drawing 11 walks in games and nuts. Like, I don't know how he managed to do that and not score more. But again, Cash usually gets a hit. Nick Goodwin gets a hit. Cole Johnson gets a hit. I remember Cole Johnson was like kind of an off the end of the bat bloop,
0: mm-hmm.
1: like kind of just a lucky one. Pena got hit by a pitch as well. Um, man, pretty terrible. Like, to strand 11 on base like that, Pena stranded four. Um, usually and cold Pepper both strand three. Additionally, the uh box score on K State's website is totally messed up, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's listing like Nick Goodwin as a pitcher and yeah, Ray Robertson is having pitched. Um, uh, I'm just gonna pretend that doesn't exist, yeah. but it was, um, not good, not good at all. Um, really, really, really bad start this I think put a lot of fear into people about us playing our way out of the NCAA tournament as well yeah just Val and I think the worst part about it was that
0: it, I the first inning was one of the worst managerial decisions that I've seen Pete Hughes make and I don't want to turn this into a let's dunk on Pete Hughes episode especially given what's about to happen next but I don't understand why you would send Cash Rougely on a double steal going to third with a left-handed batter in the box. Cash Rugely, he's not slow, but he's not Brendan. Like, there's one person on this team that I think that it's acceptable to do with, and that's Brendan Jones. And I think he was hitting. <laughs> no, no, no. It was Brady Day. Brady Day was hitting. Like, if it was a right-handed batter, I could understand like, oh yeah, you know, that's taking a risk. This happens in the top of the first inning. You know, if you're doing it with a right-handed batter, that's, that's taking a risk, you know, a calculated risk. Catcher has to throw around the, the batter. So if he's out, it's, you know, it's a 60, 40 on him being out versus him being safe. But you take that in the game that you think is going to be close, but the downside of that is if he is out you've nuked all momentum from orbit cuz you go from two on one out to one on with two out and the runner is on second. And that's that's not where you want to be and that really just killed any and all momentum for the offense from the very beginning. Does that excuse the pitching performance? <laughs> no. But It it was just bad vibes from the very beginning of the game for me.
1: Yeah, I'm really really sad to see TCU spot 16 runs in four innings. That that hurts a lot. Like that's unusual how many runs we gave up in that short a time span. Um, Glad Andrew Evans was able to come out and give us a good inning. I think TCU may have stopped trying by that point, but let's go! <laughs> Shout out Andrew Evans for the uh, solid inning. Also for but, liking one of our tweets, I guess. <laughs> it's like seven, but but um, yeah, seventeen hits for TCU. That is not sustainable. Um, con- continue to the developing crash of K State baseball. At the face of the earth. Yep, but
0: luckily. We have the the Pete Hughes buff that whenever you're facing against a team from Texas with your back up against the wall in an elimination game in the Big 12 tournament, it's very specific circumstances. You get plus 99 to literally every attribute on earth, and you get it from the weirdest people. And first off, please let me tell the rule story. I really want to tell the rule story. By all means. Okay, so Connor and I have been complaining basically the entirety of this season that there's no Day 3 starter. Ty Rule emerges during the TCU series, has a pretty good outing for that time. We were still kind of skeptical about it at the time. Then he comes out this game. I was extremely skeptical because as much as I truly do believe that Big 12 Tournament Ty rule is simply different, and I have empirical evidence to back this up, I was apprehensive and I'm really glad that no one told me before the game started that Ty rule had the flu and still does. So he's going out, starting one of the bigger games of his career, his second start in a K-State uniform. He has the flu and he carries a no hitter through like four and a third. And it's a one hitter through five. And not only does he do this, the moment he leaves the mound, he immediately throws up. <laughs> immediately, he throws up. Such is the legend of Ty Rule. I will. I want this game to live on in K State lore, regardless of how the rest of the season goes, because the world needs to know that Ty Rule of all people had a flu game
1: against Texas. <laughs> Good for him, bringing out his inner Jordan. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, it's pretty unusual. Well, he's he's number twenty three, right? Yes, we found the
0: connection, ah, boys.
1: It all makes sense now. So <laughs> that I guess is why Tyrule is so good. Granted, the eighth flyouts does make me nervous, but.
0: Oh, yeah, they all made me it did, nervous.
1: It didn't bother him, though. It's a big park. So true. kind of a 4-2, I guess.
0: Those would have been dingers in Titan. That is true. Um, but we, we never said the score. This was a 6-0 shutout against Texas in an elimination game. And this is the one I really want to talk about because we won. uh, And also Tyrell flu game. <laughs> but uh, you want to take pictures or... I say pitchers. You want to take Ty and Ty, or do you want to take the the batters?
1: Um, you're, you've been so excited about Ty rule, so I'll let you take the uh, pitchers then, because I, I think you're, I think you're gonna be very happy about talking about the pitchers. So I am very but, happy. <laughs> I, I can go ahead and start with the uh, batters, um, but almost the entire lineup got a hit today, except for Roberto Pena, and then oddly enough, Brady Day, who. I think his bomb base streak ended oh, with this 36 game, games. Which is such a shame uh, for Brady Day. Really too bad. Um, but a few guys had some really solid games, some of them out of absolutely nowhere. Um, I I still don't quite get it, I guess. But um, Dom Hughes, he's kind of the offensive MVP out of this game. Out of absolutely nowhere, Dom steps into the DH role. In the three and- spot. <laughs> Yeah. And he goes three for four, one walk, two RBIs. What a day for Dom Hughes to choose to have probably the best game of his K-State career. I like this was a clutch performance. And I mean he had the he was responsible for batting in the first uh run of the game, uh, which was absolutely massive. And then he drew a walk on a bases loaded and on, on a full count, no less. And he was um, down one to two in that count, as well. So he was just worth the count and got on base. That was shocking, honestly. I, I, I wasn't really sure if I was ready to expect that from Dom because I haven't seen him that much this year. And he was good. He he had a good game, all things considered. So shout out to him. You know, MVP, ghost of Dom Hughes, I guess, for at least for the batters. Cole Johnson was actually pretty solid today as well. He went two for three, drew a walk. Really good stuff from Cole Johnson. I mean, usually goes two for five. Nick Goodwin goes two for five with a two RBI double. There's a lot of guys to be pretty happy with um, in the uh, batting order, especially in that seventh inning where uh, five of the six runs came from. But other than that, there's not a lot more to really write home about for uh, the uh, batting order because there were 13 hits. We only got six runs out of it um and then we drew three walks as well uh there were a couple of errors in the field um cash usually and pelletier um but speaking of pelletier we need to talk <laughs> about his uh defensive play um at home for for those that were unable to watch uh this is when neighbors was pitching sixth or seventh inning somewhere around there and um neighbors spikes a breaking ball and it flies kind of hits pelletier's glove and just kind of flicks up into the air and pelletier can't find it and he spots it midair one hands it with a fully stretched arm and then t- turns around so fast and just absolutely nails a guy trying to run the second i did not literally hit him because that wouldn't have mattered but he yeah. throws like pretty much perfect throw and not only beats the runner to second, he was out by a lot. Yeah. This was with Pelletier letting the ball fly into the air and then barehanding it. So not a conventional throw out, but that shows why Pelletier is one of the best defensive catchers in the entire big 12, maybe in the country, because he is an unbelievable defender. So thank you, Pelletier for that, uh, clutch moment. Uh, I'm catching a guy stealing. That's how you draw
0: it up, right? That's how you draw up the the pickoff.
1: <laughs> you should do that every time, I think.
0: Yeah, that was a ridiculous play. Uh, the cash rouge, the error that that was probably the most nervous I was the entire game because it was a, like a routine play in cash rouge. It, normally, I kind of scoff whenever players blame the glove. I don't under. I still I watched that play like three or four times. I still don't understand how the ball just hopped out of his glove because it didn't hit him in the palm. It hit him in the web and it just fell out.
1: It's tough, That's tough scene. Kind of it
0: it's
1: kind of how it goes sometimes. Just random, tough breaks. Really, really sucks to see for Cash, who otherwise had a pretty decent day.
0: Yeah. But in terms of pitching, we already went over the, the tie Rule flu game. I will not be referring to this game as anything else. Then after five innings and the tie rule throwing up in the dugout, <laughs> the other Ty, Tyson Neighbors, steps in, gets his 11th save, according to K-State, on the year. I think it's like his 14th, according to the Big 12. 13th or 14th, according to the Big 12, who knows. Uh, he ends up having a pretty solid outing. I, he gets eight strikeouts, three bases on balls, uh, you know, pretty pretty standard uh, Tyson Neighbors stuff, of course, uh, gets the tying run on third, proceeds to strike the guy out, makes no comments, just walks away. Like I, that was one of the most I'm him moments I've seen in K-State baseball, where like runners on third, tying run, high leverage situation just strikes out, refuses to emote, and leaves. That is the most I'm him moment of the season, maybe.
1: Tyson Neighbors is pretty famous at this point around the Batcats community for um, the amount of emotion that he shows, but sometimes he says just as much while not saying anything. <laughs> sometimes his silence is just as loud as when he's um, screaming. Yeah. like It's it's really interesting how he's able to manage that. I think maybe the... Uh, um loudness and um, most of the time helps uh set that effect up maybe but i mean yeah he was phenomenal um a couple more walks i guess than you want But that's kind of splitting hairs honestly like he, we went this is probably his longest outing of the year four innings pitched, 71 pitches um he he pitched a lot today so i think we probably won't see him again unless we make it to the uh, championship and that's a long shot especially on the loser side but you you never know
0: yeah. And that, that's kind of my main complaint with this game. This, this was a fun game all around. Uh, that's my one complaint with this game is that Tyson neighbors does end up throwing 71 pitches. So if we need him, especially the day that this comes out. So if you're listening to this, watch the Batcats. but if we need him in this upcoming game, that's going to be a really tough ask. And, it it's just straight up not safe for his arm to do so um i i would have liked if after that what was it the 7th if after the 7th inning we gave him maybe one batter lowered his pitch count by 15 to 20 made it slightly easier for him to come back not tomorrow but the day after if we need him then um it is really really disconcerting that Because we used Kyler Haney yesterday, we don't have any arms that we trust with a six-run lead. That's very disconcerting to me because who starts tomorrow? Probably Herman
1: Fajardo. Almost certainly Fajardo, maybe Buss. But there's not a lot of guys on the roster that I think are going to be able to start. Maybe you could see Rothermel, he does have uh, he did start a game against KU um, before, and I think if it wasn't for the wind, it probably would have been a little better Yeah, because it was the day where everybody was hitting everything. Um, so TBD, I guess, but I, I imagine is probably the odds-on favorite to start. Yeah, and
0: Fajardo's good for anywhere from four to five innings. Except for that, he had one really random start. Was it against KU where he ended up going like six and he was just
1: killing people? Something like that. But yeah, he normally does only go about four to five. Um, he doesn't generally make it long because he's just kind of a person that naturally just has long at bats. Uh, he He's trying to clip the edges of the zone a lot. That's just kind of his pitching style. So he's just going to have longer uh, ABs that he's having to deal with. So not a lot of times he's hitting about 90 by the fifth inning if his outing's going good so might get four or five out of him and then we're gonna have to kind of shuffle around and figure out who's gonna come up next like who's the next guy that's Wait. gonna come out because we yeah. only get Porcentino's two innings uh yesterday so we could maybe get an inning out of him uh tomorrow if need be but other than that, we are starting to run a little low on arms, which to be Again. fair, pretty much every team is dealing with that. And I will say the situation is probably less dire than it has been in the past, which is a little sad. But yeah. um, still, you you can't feel great uh, about where you're sitting. Although I don't think there's a single team out there that feels good about it. Because I mean, if we go up and down the list, we haven't seen Wise and Baker yet. Haven't seen Evans. Haven't Wait,
0: we know we saw Evans. We, we saw We saw
1: we, saw Evans. we could probably get a third or two thirds of an inning from Trey Robertson, and Shea. if we yeah, there's Shea Hardis, we've not seen him pitch with his new found uh, sidearm delivery <laughs> that kind of works actually. Haven't seen Dalton Beck. I haven't a while. seen
0: Jack in years.
1: Yeah, maybe we were saving his arm and developing him for the postseason, which I'd love to have that be revealed. <laughs> yeah, I I
0: don't my, my point is, is, that, up there is yeah. my, my point is is that there are there are no arms left that can come into a game and I feel really great about. There there are a couple of arms that I'm like, okay, I'm uneasy, but I'm along for the ride. Uh, on that list is – I trust Mason Buss a little more than that. But on that list is Shea Hardis, Corey Cater, just because we've seen nothing of him, uh, Cole Weisenbaker, just because he's so young. Like Those are – that's asking a lot. And then you're starting getting into guys that are either unproven or have had really, really tough outings. So you're starting to ask for Trey Robertson. You're starting to ask for – for Jack, Jack Wentworth, to to find his groove again. And that's a big ask, especially if we end up winning the game. We need another starter. We can't ask Boromun to do it on three days.
1: Kevin Not after Manel getting blown up. up. <laughs> Time for Kevin Minnell to see his first action as a Wildcat. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I wish, hey, maybe we've been hiding him all year. Maybe he's actually uh, the greatest pitcher on the roster. We've just been waiting for this moment. Maybe not as well, but yeah, it be. we 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 can't prove otherwise until we see him.
0: I I guess that's true enough, but
1: yeah, the we, the game. We have, if we make it three more games, we're probably gonna see a random position player at some point. Oh no! Maybe we bring in Orlando Salinas. We haven't seen him in a while.
0: Cole Johnson, K State pitcher. Anyway, you think Pelican can pitch. No.
1: <laughs> I don't think so either,
0: but it's just curious. <laughs> but anyway, the the game that will be going on today, uh, first pitch is at three. It's up against KU, rematch of the Sunflower Showdown. We ended up sweeping them in Lawrence in that game. Now that that may give some people confidence. However, I am superstitious. I grew up a baseball player. I am very much of the belief that it is near impossible to, not near impossible, but is exceedingly difficult to beat a team after sweeping them in a series. Um I will say that KU may
1: have be more arm exhausted than we are, which wow. But <laughs> yeah, they're a team that's already phenomenally short on good pitchers, and they spent both of them uh I think they spent their two best arms by far in that first game. Uh because they used their best starter and their top reliever to get in the winner's side and it worked. And then they got dumpstered by TCU uh, Thursday. I uh, got run ruled kind of like we did. And
0: <laughs> TCU, uh, as much as it pains me to say, especially because of how, I, I don't understand how this happened. They were, they were such a pleasant fan base literally a year ago, but um, it's such a shame because they're probably winning the big 12 tournament. Because they have literally all the momentum in the world. Like if if they had this momentum even in the middle of April, if it didn't just literally spawn in like the second week of May, they would probably be hosting a regional. Um, they're probably going to assassinate just about everyone they face. So our goal is to avoid them at all
1: costs. <laughs> Frankly, the only team I think right now that could really hold their own against TCU's oklahoma state because they're in the losers bracket yeah because both of those teams are just offense 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 like their bats are on fire right now both of them we have seen that from both of them so it's it's gonna kind of come down that that would pretty much just be a complete shootout um and then i think there's one more game going on right now that's not finished and that's a OU is up on Texas Tech by two, nine to seven in the top of the eighth. So I know, I'm surprised too. Oh, this tournament's crazy, bro. Now, the top three seeds are all either out or in the loser's bracket. I number one's out, number two,
0: three, two or three is out, whichever one West Virginia is.
1: Oh, yeah, West Virginia is out, right? Yep. Yeah, they're out. I think they're two might be wrong but i think they were too oh
0: lord dude this this goes crazy anyway
1: (laughs) they're lucky baylor wasn't able to make it in the tournament because they would have just gone on an absolute tear and won the whole thing and made the NCAA tournament (laughs) (laughs) the
0: questionable ending (laughs) i just laugh at that point too that'd be very (laughs) funny anyway that that pretty much wraps up the the news segment. Watch the Batcats. We will certainly be watching the Batcats. Uh, big game rematch of the Sunflower Showdown. So yeah. I don't know if you said it, but it's at three PM. Yeah, it's I a three. It. Yeah, I, I may have, I may have not. But that ends the news segment. Now, of course, we have the wacky segment of the week. And the question for this week is: If you could go back in time and see one non-revenue K State game, what game would you pick? And I have my answer immediately. And I I know it may be cheating because I was already at this game. I was already at this game. I have recorded proof of me being at this game. I just want to see it again. And that is
1: exactly what you're talking about.
0: Yep. That is the Ioka Lee NCAA scoring record game up against Oklahoma, where she dropped
1: 61. I think we were both at that game, weren't we? Yeah. I remember I almost didn't go because it was the day after we um, gave up that 20 point lead to KU. And I was really depressed. Oh, so yeah. I, was like, I don't think I'm going to go. And then I showed up like at the very last second and I was so happy that I made it to that game because that was a generational performance by Aoka Lee. I mean, literally it was a record. <laughs> yeah. But and she did it without
0: know. draining any threes. The previous record was in overtime and had like
1: 10 threes made. No, yeah, that was only twos in regulation. uh, Pretty unbelievable, like the what she did. And the the crazy thing is, they didn't really seem to realize how close she was until like she was at like fifty-five, and they were. I think they were about to take her out, and then they were like, "Wait, wait a minute, she's actually like kind of close
0: to somebody. Let
1: her her cook." Some random manager was like, "Hey, we should probably leave Yoko Lee in because she's about to hit the record." But <laughs> uh, no, that was a uh, unbelievable, a uh, really good, really good choice to uh, to roll with that. Uh, you can't go wrong with that. As for me, I'm. I'm trying to find I know what game I want. I just don't know where it is and who we faced. I know what year it happened. I know what it resulted in. Like the K-State's baseball schedule from that year is completely messed up. Uh, because there's like nine games that happen that they just don't have on there. And I I know, right? Like some of them are really important games. Um, but I would do the uh, um game where we won the manhattan regional uh in 2013 for baseball i was not at that game and that would have been our first ever a uh, regional win uh first and only regional win um at that so God, we that's sad yeah <laughs> we sucked for a long time man. <laughs> but no yeah it was a. Uh, pretty unbelievable i know that we had some uh crazy games uh that year um like i know that we uh oh we um or in the regional even we had like a like a shootout game with uh uh, wichita state and it was like uh 20 to 10 or something like that's one of the games that isn't listed on the uh, uh website i don't know why you wouldn't put that on there but I think it was against Arkansas. I think we were playing against Arkansas for this game. And so I'd want to be at that game to see K-State get uh, to the Super Regionals for the first time ever. And uh, I'd also kind of like to see Toynton pre-renovation because my memories are fuzzy of it because I didn't go there very much pre-renovation. So I just didn't get to a lot of baseball games up until um, post-renovation, which was when I was in college. So I don't know that, that's one that sticks out to me. Oakley's is a great pick as well. Yeah. Uh
0: would you have uh, would the Iowa game have made your list? Would it have made it have, like your top 5? The uh, K-State Iowa from this past game, year?
1: Yes. It would have cuz I really 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 wanted to go. And there were discussions about storming the court by the way. As you should, honestly. <laughs> like it, it was phenomenal that we managed to win that game. With the success Iowa went on to have, uh, that year, how incredible team they they were, and that uh, we did it without Aoka Lee as well because we didn't have her all year. I mean, pretty unbelievable performance, un, un- improbable, I-, I guess is maybe the best way to put, um, uh, that that uh, that game, that win, just pretty pretty crazy stuff, but. Yeah, that has to be in the top five. I think I imagine there's probably like a couple women's basketball games uh, in the past as well that I can't think of specifically. That would be nice to be at. Not much back cats probably. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, that's fair. But no, yeah, that's my pick.
0: All right. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at AggievilleACats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and cats. If you want to email us, we're Cats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ASC Edwards, zero, zero. I am at Connor Bouts' org, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats Merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.